Ladies and gentlemen, to those among you who are easily frightened, we suggest you turn away now. To those of you who think they can take it, we say, welcome. That's a little Christmas tune I guarantee you will not hear on your local radio station. Hooray for Santa Claus. S-A-N-T-Y-C-L-A-U-S. As sung by, well, obviously children, but one of those children being Pia Zadora. And you know, we don't need to hear it on the radio because it's going to be stuck in our heads from now until Christmas. And you're welcome, everybody. That's our gift to you. <laughs> That's our gift to you, exactly. No, our real gift is this episode. This is our special holiday episode. What are we going to do, Rich? It's our uh, episode 25, so in honor of the 25th of December, we are giving you a bonus review on Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, a terrifying flick from 1964. You know, it's it's a traditional kitty matinee flick which they did a lot of in the 60s and early 70s i personally remember as a kid watching the christmas that almost wasn't in the early 1970s which i actually did buy on on dvd about five or six years ago and actually enjoy that flick that's a movie that i think should get more love that one doesn't get talked about everyone i think has seen santa claus conquers the martians at one point or another because it's public domain I think the first time I saw it, I watched it on our local PBS station back in the maybe the late 80s. It got its resurgence courtesy of Pia Zadora, who was a young, one of the young cast members. And uh, she had a resurgence herself in the 1980s. I think since then it's been available everywhere in public domain. And that's the best part about this is that you can watch this movie and it's not going to cost <laughs> you anything. You won't waste a penny on it. You know what, though? I enjoy this movie. I really, really do. I think the story is clever. I like the setup. Where it fails is in its execution, but even that has a certain amount of charm. I watched this only last year for the first time. I have a thing about not wanting to watch movies that I hear are so bad because I think, well, why do I want to waste the time? But finally, I did it, and I was really, really surprised. You know, whatever shame that brings upon me, I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> I, I enjoy it, and I looked forward to watching it this year again so that we could talk about it. It is something I watch about every other year myself. And of the Santa Claus, kind of twisted Santa Claus films, it is is the best one that's made. There's others out there. Maybe next year we'll talk about Santa Claus, which the 1959-1960 Mexican uh, kitty matinee flick, which is basically Santa Claus versus the Devil. You've got The Christmas Martian, which was made up in Canada. 
You have the Magic Christmas Tree, which I've covered this month over at the uh, monthly Memiverse Audiocast, Kansas City Crypt December Edition. That one is a trip. Uh, you have Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny, which I think I'm going to uh, do next year. I'm already thinking that's, that's a Memiverse thing right there. Um, yeah, this is actually, I think, one of the best that's out there. You know, we joke about, if you've ever listened to the B-Movie cast, uh, the late, great Vince Bertolo made us all watch a film one year called Christmas on Mars. That is truly a horrifically boring flick. This one, as you said, it's fun. It takes you back to a simpler age. Uh, a time when kitty matinee flicks were popular. You could go and see uh, a film and some cartoons on a Saturday afternoon, which is how I remember watching The Christmas That Almost Wasn't. So that's the intent of which this film was made, and I think I think it succeeds on that. What is it about Christmas and Mars? You mentioned two other movies that are Christmas movies with Mars. What... I think the, is it because of the great success of this they were trying to cash in on, or what? <laughs> I you know I think it's the the trying to tie into the uh, sci-fi crowd, so to speak, and so you just think Martians. I think maybe that's where they they went with this original, and maybe that's how over the years the outer space intergalactic monster connection was. And this movie, I mean, we get robots and kind of get a monster, sort of the crazy polar bear-like thing that we have in the North Pole. So the Christmas on Mars and the Christmas Martian have nothing to do with each other and nothing to do with this film uh, and are nowhere near as good as this. So if if you consider, I think this one's got a 2.2 IMDb rating. I have not checked. I'd be real curious to see where those two films are ranked on IMDb. They have to be ranked lower because I, I think... Uh, wait, this is a 2.6 rating now. It's gone up. On IMDb since I checked the other day, so this, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians two point six. I and I, I think don't it, think that's fair. I mean, I'm not saying it's a ten point movie, but I just don't think it's that bad. And yeah, I guess I like I like the story. Like I say, it's clever. I mean, you know, there's Martians. Their kids grow up, and they're it, this. I noticed this viewing is sort of relevant for today. They talk about how so much they get so much input into their heads through technology at an early age that they don't have any time to be kids. Well, that reminds me today of kids being on their cell phones and everything, but I'm sure that's putting way too much into it. They see on their television screen Santa Claus on Earth, and they think, well, if we kidnap Santa Claus and bring him here, our children can be children. That's a great idea. What's wrong with that? You know, I'm looking at the ratings on these other films in IMDb, and this just supports the fact that you can't always go by the ratings 4.6 4.6 for The Christmas Martian. No, no, no. How many people? That's usually what I look at. Is. Okay, so so with uh, so let's go Christmas on Mars first. 500 or 720 people have reviewed it and gave it a 5.7. Those people need help, <laughs> folks. They really do. Uh, they need to get out a little bit. That's a horrific movie. Okay, The Christmas Martian has only been reviewed by 125 people. They gave it a 4.6. Wow, and this is... And that, that's a stretch at, at 4.6, in my opinion. Now, some of that may be nostalgia, because that was a Canadian film that was shown on television in the 1970s, I think, on Canadian television. So there's probably some nostalgia there. 
Santa Claus Conquers the Martians has significantly more reviews, 9,905. And so that's probably playing into why I think a lot of people have seen it and are just, it's probably the only film they've seen of this genre and they just are giving it a low rating. It it deserves better than a 2.6. No, it's not a 10-point film, but it, it definitely deserves better than a 2.6. It is a better film than that. If you haven't seen it, because you've seen and been turned off by that rating, listen to what we have to talk about it, because it's actually much better than that, and, and something that you should... Well, again, you, it, it's not going to cost you anything to find a copy of it. You can get it on YouTube for free. It's something that you should definitely watch if you haven't seen it. Breaking news. I just looked it up on my phone to see what I did rank it when I watched it. Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Production status in development? Are they remaking it? Oh my gosh. Because seriously, I thought this movie is ripe for a remake. And even an animated version. Could you see that? I I think the story's there and with a little better execution. Uh, they have a cast listed for this film. A uh, Nick Emmett McGee playing Santa. This is the in-production status, folks. They have nobody of note. Voldar, Billy, Kimar, Betty. Yeah, it looks like they are going to somehow remake Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. You know, there's no way that it'll be as good as this one. I'm sorry, because this one has charm. It has charm of 1964. And you can do the same exact story and try to make it a shot-for-shot remake but it won't have the charm of the time period of 1964. Yeah, but I think the story is so strong, though, they could make a legit movie and well, they could. fix all theirs, and it'd be different. I mean, it'd be like little... I'd compare it to Little Shop of Horrors, the original movie, and then the musical. That's a good point. That's I a mean, good point. Yeah. I, I'm going to go on so long that people who haven't seen this are going to watch it and say, what in the hell is wrong with him? Just like you're saying about those people that have watched those other ones. Well, let's talk about the... Uh, the film itself a little bit i guess the the plot of the movie fairly simple but it we we start off we're on mars uh by the way mars is populated in case you know the recent landing i guess maybe is on the other side of mars we haven't seen where kimar and voldar and Drapo live but we've got two martian children are watching earth television and they're glued and they're not doing their work and they're becoming lazy and shiftless and the martians are worried and so they they seek the you know what's the answer what can we do to to help our children and well we need you know we need to understand this santa claus because they seek the wise old shazam looking you know when i forget the character's name the wizard you know that mysteriously appears on the rock and and looks like shazam right says well what time of is it's earth it's december oh well it's santa claus and they come up with this plot well, that, it's December on Earth, but it's September on Mars. It's exactly, yes, September. Middle of September. Middle of September. Yeah, that was kind of funny. So, yeah, so the, they go to, you know, the plot is to go to, to Earth and essentially kidnap Santa Claus. And here's a clever thing. They're up in their um, spaceship watching, looking down on Earth, trying to locate Santa, and there's one on every street corner ringing yes. a bell. I, that's clever. It is clever. It, it is clever. Uh, you're dealing with... You know, the, the spaceship is is something straight out of like 1950s uh, Tom Corbett space cadet technology. Even probably by 1964 standards, it might have been a little dated, maybe. For me, that adds charm. It adds charm to it. You've got, uh, as the story progresses, essentially the Martians 
Kimar is, is is basically the good Martian. I believe uh, Voldar is the bad Martian, right? And so uh, Voldar basically is thinking uh, Mars for Martians and uh, wants to go back to the old ways. And, and Kimar is thinking that we need to be more forward thinking. They essentially, they go to Earth, find a couple of Earth children to help guide them to where the North Pole is, where they can find Santa. And once they're kidnapped Santa and bring him back to Mars and then realize that it's not quite as easy as that. And what might be a little simpler is if they have a their own Santa on Mars as the movie progresses. Charming story. It, it's 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 a charming story with some craziness that takes place up in the North Pole. We've got a a robot, which uh, again, we're not talking top technology. We're talking a dollar ninety eight budget here. Cardboard box, basically. Basically. The polar bear is basically a guy. That's worse than a cardboard box robot is that polar bear. The polar bear is basically a guy in, in a rug moving around, which is funny. It, 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 it comes across as funny. And you got to love it. I mean, they make a big deal about saying how cold it is at the North Pole. I mean, from the very Minus 91, 91 degrees. 91 degrees below. And yet the kids are running around. And at one point, that little Betty, they're in the cave when the bear's trying to get him. And she's like, I'm cold. I mean, yeah, you think? I, you know, the, the acting is really good in this film. I, and for all things considered, I mean, we're not dealing with A-list actors and actresses, but I don't think that there was anything that just stood out as like, oh my gosh, that's so bad. Sometimes, you know, there's like some movies I've seen, you know, like in the '50s, or so many really cheaply made sci-fi flicks, like what is it, Teenagers from Space or something. This, it's got some really bad acting. Is like you, you struggle to get through it. Here, if there's any bad acting, it's it's kind of made a little bit more humorous. The Martians, you could kind of say, well, they can kind of act bad. The kids can kind of have some poor acting, but they're Martians. They're going to act a little otherworldly. The Earth kids come across as a little irritating and annoying sometimes, but nothing that's going to deter you from enjoying the charm of this film. Um, let's go with the cast here. So you've got John Call as Santa Claus, and actually, he does have some other stink, uh, crane credits to his name, about 27 roles, so not prolific. But he did do some stuff. He was in I Spy. He was in uh, Dragnet. So he did do some small roles in the 50s and 60s. I believe this was one of his last roles. Uh, yes, he, he only made one more role or one more movie after this. Seven years later, he was in the Anderson Tapes. He died in 1973 at the age of 64 of a heart attack. So he was actually 55 when he made this movie, 55. Yeah, looked kind of old for 55, but yeah, he was only in his mid-50s. Leonard Hicks plays the Martian Kimar. Didn't do a lot. Only had three roles to his name, one of which was a guest spot in an episode of Route 66. Vincent Beck, actually a little more prolific. He actually did a lot of uh, television work, and he did some work for Irwin Allen. He was in Time Tunnel. He was in uh, Lost in Space, a uh, third season episode. I actually know the episode, Hunter's Moon. Again, he was relatively young at the time he made this. He died at a young age. He died in 1984 at the age of 60 of cancer. Hmm. A lot of, like I said, early deaths in in the last couple of episodes. So our comedic Martian, our, our, our comic relief, if you will, Droppo, was played by Bill McCutcheon. 
he's got 25 credits to his name. Not a lot, but he appeared in 17 episodes of Sesame Street as Uncle Wally. Yeah, bizarre, bizarre. Ned Wertimer plays the news reporter Andy Henderson. He looked familiar to me, and I went through his credits. He did lots of TV work, but you know where I know him from? Star Trek or Doctor Who? No, I don't have that in this episode. I'm sorry to disappoint. He was Ralph the Doorman in The Jeffersons. Oh. And almost every episode of The Jeffersons. His last film role, believe it or not, was Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. He played a a singing pirate on the gallows or something. Hmm. So... And, of course, you know, we've got a lot of young actors, but we would be remiss if we don't mention uh, the young Martian girl, Girmar, or Girmar, or I can't remember how it was pronounced, played by Pia Zadora. Now, Pia Zadora, shockingly, wouldn't act again until 1982, and she decided to, for whatever reason, have a resurgence of her acting career, and had a kind of a brief moment in some soft porn films, Butterfly and The Lonely Lady... I do remember the lonely lady and and you know she did a few songs and that really is is her brief resurgence in the 80s is really why this movie got talked about it had been forgotten and then someone what well, Pia Zadora was was on you know everything being interviewed and someone said well hey Pia Zadora did this movie back in the 60s when she was a little girl and that's what and the movie was in public domain and it started making the rounds on television because it starred Pia Zadora that's how they marketed it and that's how Santa Claus Conquers the Martians kind of got saved from the from the uh the forgotten annals of, of film history and is now here we are 2018 we're doing a review on it so the film was directed by Nicholas Webster, um, who had like 46 credits to his name, a lot of television work. He did some stuff like Bonanza and the Waltons, Mannix, um, a lot of stuff from that time period, the Big Valley. But uh, one thing that I thought this was interesting, he, he actually directed four episodes. Oh my gosh, my Star Trek ah. reference. My Star Trek reference. He directed four episodes of In Search Of, Hosted by Leonard Nimoy, better known as Mr. Spock on Star Trek. You know, just when I think I can't do it, it it comes to me. It comes, it just, it's handed to me. 46 credits to his name. So not not overly prolific, but not necessarily unknown either. So he did do a few other things. Sometimes these movies, when I was talking about the magic Christmas tree over at the Kansas City Crypt, I mean, like nobody did anything ever again. You know, at least this film, you got uh, some some other credits. Writers of the films, though, I think Glenville, Merrith, and Paul L. is actually based on a story by Paul L. Jacobson. And I, I couldn't find anything really on either of them that they, that they did. This is kind of mostly a, obscure work for them. So, Well, let me give you a Dark Shadows reference. And I feel like this is like deja vu. I feel like we've talked about this before. We may have mentioned it maybe last year or something. But the person who did the costumes... And don't let that discourage you, is Ramsey Mostoler, who did the costumes for Dark Shadows the whole time that it ran on television in the late 60s, early 70s. You know, again, it's a bottom of the barrel. I mean, we talked about, you know, cardboard robots and white rug polar bears. The Martians, bad green face makeup and tube go into their head and antennas that look... (laughs) 
like bent, like hangers that have been bent. Yeah. You know, it's, but yet it's, I just think that's so charming. And what this whole production reminds me of, and I just really thought of it. I mean, you know how everyone had horror hosts. Well, I know in my market and I'm imagining in most, they also sort of at the same time had like these children's shows. Oh, yeah. That were on in the afternoon. I had Foreman Scotty. And he was actually the same actor that played Count Gregor. And it was a whole thing where they had a decoder ring. And, you know, that's what this reminds me of, is that, like, that group got together and made a movie. Uh, the the forest set where they meet the uh, wise elder or, or whatever. You know, that is a wide open room with tarps over chairs. Oh, it is, yeah. There's no disguising it. And... That is what they would have done, you know. But kids back in this time period, again, they could be entertained. Exactly. You know, today's and audiences, no. they got to have a phone in their hand when they're two. Back then, you, you we had our imagination. And, yeah, I, I had... Uh, we actually had a Christmas kitty show in Wichita called... It was uh, a Santa's Toy Shop uh, or Santa's Workshop, depending on what network it was on. Henry Harvey played Santa Claus... And when it was on uh, Channel 10, K-A-K-E, had a little puppet sidekick named Cake Man. Uh, and when he went to the CBS affiliate, it became Toy Boy. <laughs> and Toy Boy would go zooming and zooming around the great big wide world. And Santa Claus would shake his hands with the little jingle bells on it. And he would, you know, sh- a half hour show, it aired every afternoon from Thanksgiving through Christmas Eve. He did some stuff on there by Christmas Eve. He actually, Santa Claus reading the story of the baby Jesus on television. You couldn't get away with that. Now, if you lived in Wichita, that was a huge part of of television history. Henry Harvey did a, uh, a, a his own like kitty show host for a while called Freddie Fudd. He was Elmer Fudd's brother and had a treehouse and would play cartoons and stuff. Here's a interesting little tidbit. Henry Harvey actually was in The Beast from the Beginning of Time, a movie made in 65, which is one of the the things that actually got me into podcasting and, and got me into the blog, was that movie. Henry Harvey was my Santa Claus. And they continued to play Santa. The, the, the A season of these episodes continued to play on television, even on into the 1990s. And I introduced it to both of my kids. And they weren't quite as enamored with it as I was. But uh, it was cool that I could share that with them. And, and then sometime in, like in, in the last 15 years, his son came back and played Santa Claus again. And the same person came back to do the voice as Toy Boy. And they did a whole season worth of Santa's uh, workshop. Again, like the last 10, 15 years and and try to restart the tradition. And it didn't quite work, unfortunately. But for me, I hadn't really thought of that until you mentioned it. And that this, why I guess I, I, I go back to this every couple of years is because that that Santa Claus is 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 ties into my to my youth. I I about every three or four years I, I watch what I've got. I've got some episodes of Santa's workshop I recorded and one that they put out on DVD locally in Wichita. And I'll probably watch it this year and introduce Carla to it. Uh, it's a charming piece of my childhood. And that's what this movie is. It, it takes you back to 1964. And interestingly, Toy Boy, did you know, he went through adolescence and ended up being quite a hottie. He became Boy Toy. <laughs> oh, goodness. That You know, 
that's a running joke amongst those of us who are older because, I mean, he really, it, you know, Toy Boy goes zooming and zooming around the world. It's, yeah, it's kind of crazy. But, you mentioned the cast and the, the Droppo character especially. As an adult, painful to watch. Not I wouldn't even call it slapsticky, just silly. But I know as a kid in that era growing up, I would have found that hysterical. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you think about... Again, I look at like the the Christmas that almost wasn't, and and I you know I wasn't going to watch it this year. Now I think I have to. And that one, you know, is a bigger production, and it's a musical, certainly on a different level than Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. But it, it was made for the the children audience, and we have that now. It's just a different style. But there are shows that kids gravitate towards that adults can't stand. But that's what this movie was really made for: was children. In 1964, it wasn't made for adults, but as adults, we we become fond of it, you know, because maybe we watched it as children, or just because it's got Martians, we love sci-fi, and so we we gravitate towards it. It's it's not going to be on the same level as as another science fiction film made in '64, but it's something fun you break out at Christmas. It's less than an hour and a half; it's like an hour and twenty minutes, and which is probably a little long. An hour time frame, I think, would have been Yeah, in fact, I'd forgotten it was this long. It drags. It certainly does drag in in certain spots. I think the North Pole scene is probably the weakest. If they had trimmed that and brought this in at maybe an hour ten, I think it... Well, because there was... It certainly is is the one part of the movie that doesn't look realistic at all, and so you probably could have shaved that and and not shown the non-realistic scenes as much. Speaking of the North Pole, you know, this is actually the first documented appearance on film... Of Mrs. Claus. Huh. Mrs. Claus had never been seen in, in a on film before. She had been talked about, but never actually had been seen on a uh, on film before this before this movie. And you were talking about uh, I think special effects and, and tarps and stuff. The Martian guns were actually painted whammo air blasters. Uh, and I thought it was funny how Santa was was smoking in this one. There's a scene where. <laughs> Where they're talking about is there life on Mars, and, and Santa just kind of you know he's puffing on his cigarette or his his pipe, and he's like, oh, who knows? <laughs> it's just there's no interest whatsoever. I don't know, you know. There could be, you know. It, I I just thought that was funny the way it came across. Funny little thing that this film has been, you know, it's public domain, and but there's actually a a better print of it out now than there used to be. For a lot of years, there was kind of a faded, kind of reddish print. And it was missing a title card. That was actually one of the questions on IMDb. Someone asked, is, like, is this film missing the title card? For a lot of years, it was. When uh, Mystery Science Theater, they did it, they actually joked about that because it, it just kind of started with the cast. It says, like, with, and the song is already kind of, you know, it's missing that opening title. And I don't know why the that print that was out there for so many years missed the title card. But, yeah, one of the robots is like, you know, does this film have a title card? It didn't, but a print has recently been found that is uh, a much better color print, non-faded, and the opening uh, title cards are complete. And that is on YouTube for free, so that's the version you want to seek out. You know, any DVD copies are going to be slightly inferior. So you're going to watch this, watch it for free on YouTube, and look out for the one that's got the title card and a better color picture. 
it doesn't necessarily hurt your viewing if you watch one of the other copies, but if you're going to see it, see the best copy out there. And that's probably the best we're going to get. I don't think we're going to get a Blu-ray high-definition version of this film. We're lucky we still have a copy of it. And you get the wonderful song, Hooray for Santa Claus, uh, as performed by Pia Zadora. You, you can hear that at the beginning and the end of the film, and it can be with you over and over. Kind of like... You know, some of those one I we don't I don't hear it here in Kansas City, but in Wichita, the radio station down there would every holiday season would play I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas and Dominic the Christmas Donkey would just be <laughs> part of the regular rotation. Never heard of those. I know. I Wichita's they, a special place. It man. is, it is. But trust me, once you hear I want a hippopotamus for Christmas, or I'm Dominic, eeyah, eeyah, the Christmas donkey. You hear that a few times every year, it gets stuck in your head like hooray for Santa Claus. Be thankful Kansas City doesn't know those songs. By the way, the, they use the melody from that, I think, as part of almost every bit of instrumental music yes. in, the, yes. in the movie. So every time you start a hit it, I just want to start singing along. Yes, Roy Alfred and Milton DeLugue were the writers of that little ditty. I don't know if they ever did anything else. Uh, I would suspect probably not. But if they did, I, this is probably the peak of their career. It, it stays with you, and just when you think it's gone, it, it comes back. Anything else we want to say? I just want to say, it. you know, get in the Christmas spirit. Watch this. Enjoy it. I, I recommend it. I, I don't steer people away from it. Just think back to a simpler time and and be happy be merry make this one of your regular holiday viewings i you know this movie is going to be played uh well as this goes out it will have already been played on um cinema gogo which is you know what we have about uh, 30 minutes away in lawrence and they're doing a christmas edition and they're playing santa claus conquers the martians and the uh, the mexican kitty flick santa claus this year i would have loved to have seen that on the big screen. Unfortunately, we're not going to be here, so we couldn't see it. I would have loved to have seen those on the big screen and, and get the audience reaction. This would have been a fun one to watch. with the, Both films, actually, would have been fun to watch with an audience because there's even some crazier stuff in, in the other Santa Claus film. But, yeah, I recommend this. Check it out. Add it to your Christmas viewing list. Uh, if you've got young kids, show the kids. Uh, they, they might enjoy it. If you've got a smart child out there, who uh, you are guiding down the path and introducing them to the right things, they'll enjoy it. I, do you want to talk about what was going on in 1964? Sure. Okay. What well, we're kind not... of decade could have produced this? <laughs> well, we're not going to do the usual here. We're going to do some fun stuff, christmas theme stuff. 1964. If you were a kid in 1964, what was on your Christmas list? If you were a girl, you were probably wanting a Barbie or a Ken. I believe Ken still had real hair in 1964. Did he have an earring? Uh, I don't think he had an earring. A magic earring? No, no magic earring for Ken. You also probably wanted an Easy Bake Oven. If you were a boy, top toy by leaps and bounds, G.I. Joe. And you know what? I was born in 67. G.I. Joe was still popular in the early to mid-70s. And I still have two of my G.I. Joes downstairs. I have an assortment of clothes, and my mom actually made uh, sleeping bags and a tent out of this black furry material. I no longer have the tent. I both I have still have both sleeping bags, complete with zipper and pillow built in, <laughs> designed for my GI Joes. I have them downstairs. So, yeah, I mean, they're like I said, and I actually. Just recently bought a the G.I. Joe Book and Records uh, set. I, I think it was the 
possibly the Toy Man show, I think, one of the last Toy Man shows in St. Louis we went to. Music, of course, there's a lot of Christmas music. Uh, I'm sure White Christmas by Bing Crosby was played a million times, but there was some new Christmas music that came out in 1964. There was the Beach Boys Christmas album, which uh, still parts of those that album still gets played today. I'm sure that one. I'm, I don't know that they would have done more than one album, so that's probably where we get the Little Saint Nick and ah, there's the other Beach Boys Christmas song that's drawing a blank. And the other big album for the holiday season was 12 Songs of Christmas by Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, and Fred Waring, uh, which I don't have, actually, which I'm kind of intrigued. I've got a lot of Christmas albums because I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff, and I love old music, and that's one I don't have. Anyway, and TV. This was the year in which Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer made its debut on television. Rick Olschmidt, who I'm, I'm friends with on Facebook, and I'm sure most of you are too, he is, of course, keeping the Rankin-Bass history alive, and he's written numerous books. Uh, he's got a copy of the original broadcast, and I've got that. I picked it up at Monster Bash uh, back in 2017. It actually is a little different than the original, uh, or what we see on television now, which has obviously been edited for time. But even if you have the DVD version of it, it's a little different because in the original version, Santa didn't go back to the Island of Misfit Toys. And they incorporated the sponsor, which was General Electric, into the credits, uh, the end credits. So basically Santa has seen the elves are, the elves are with him and they're throwing presents off the, <laughs> off the sleigh. It's kind of a bizarre ending. But yeah, the Island of Misfit Toys got neglected. People complained. And in 1965... They change the ending, and Santa goes back to the island of misfit toys so that uh, the toys don't get forgotten like they did the first year. Anyway, that's what was happening in uh, Christmas of 1964. I'm sure a lot of people were like my dad, which for years would break out the camera. Uh, My dad, we had a camera. My dad would film 8mm films every single Christmas, and uh, (laughs) I haven't watched them in years, but... Probably nothing more interesting. I I need to watch those probably from a fashion standpoint and to see what I got every year because I would always, Dad, you know, you'd have to hold up what you got and show it to the camera, you know, get to see uh, the glorious Christmas tree with the gold and and the silver tinsel, which I was shocked the other day to find out they still make silver tinsel. You can get it from Dollar General. There's a shock. And uh, pay a dollar. And it's the silver stuff that you put on on the Christmas tree. They still make that, actually. That's I didn't know they ever stopped. I that's not unusual to me. I I haven't seen them on oh, Christmas really? trees. Uh, no, for, I've never heard of gold tinsel. Well, yeah, they did gold. Yeah, huh. we used to have gold tinsel. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's what was happening in 1964. Well, you mentioned uh, toys and things that that people wanted for Christmas. How about Christmas of 2018, Richard? Do you have any toys on your wish list? My list is smaller this year, but I still have a few things that uh, you know are on my, my wish list. Of course, I always have the Hallmark ornaments. I'm a, I collect all the Star Trek ornaments every year, and, and there's a few cool Batman ones this year that are on my list. Of course, there's some movies on the wish list. The Hammer films, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, Dracula 80, 1972, and Satanic Rites of Dracula, all of course are available on Blu-ray. The forthcoming horror of Dracula, which isn't coming out till next year, right? I don't think it has a release date yet, does it? No. no. Uh, I still want to get Exorcist to the Heretic on Blu-ray. I know it's a wacky film, but I kind of like it. 
I still want to get Trilogy of Terror. I want to get The Night Stalker and The Night Strangler, the first two Kolchak movies. I have the season set, but I don't have those first two films. Star Trek reference? Has there been a Star Trek? Yeah, there was the Leonard Nimoy. Star Trek Discovery, uh, season one on Blu-ray. Uh, Harryhausen, the movie posters book by Richard Hollis. It looks interesting. And uh, certainly on my list as well would be A Century of Horror from We Belong Dead featuring uh, someone I might know contributed to that book. That should be on everybody's wish list. Something that, you know, I'll throw out there. It's not necessarily on my wish list, but just a, a brief little snippet. Full Moon a movie they, they almost made back in 94 called The Primevals. There is a uh, Kickstarter campaign, I believe, to essentially raise money. It's a substantial amount of money, but to raise money to to finish the uh, to finish the film. $175,000 is their goal. They want to finish the film. And here's the deal. David Allen was involved in the special effects production of this film. He had done work on the Puppet Master films. They did all the principal photography. They were working on special effects. He got sick. I'm not sure what he died of, but he died in 1999. He never did get back to finish the film, and it basically got shelved. One of his special effects protégés was Chris Endicott, who has gone on to more recently. He's done work with uh, Disney. He's worked on Avengers Infinity War and uh, Deadpool, which I guess is not Disney, but is it now? Maybe it is. Yes, Deadpool is part of the Fox purchase, so I guess they would be getting Deadpool. And uh, he's involved in the production, wanting to uh, to finish the film for Full Moon. As we record this, it's the start of December. As you hear this, you're still going to have about two weeks. Uh, through the 31st of December, their goal is $175,000. As of at least the start of the month, they were at 9000 So they had a long ways to go. They're, you know, It's an interesting film. They've got a trailer. It is stop-motion special effects. It was supposed to be a homage to Ray Harryhausen. You've got lizard creatures. You've got a King Kong-like creature. It looks amazing. It's got uh, Juliet Mills, of all people, as one of the cast, kind of looking like an Indiana Jones-like character, discovering this lost world, essentially. The biggest problem with this and, and is that the lowest amount you can donate is $100 to get their limited edition Blu-ray. Their their hope is that they will start work in 2019, have it finished by the end of the year, and have it out by early 2020. I don't know, $100 is a pretty big starting point. I think they should certainly start like at 25. That's just me. If you're in the giving mood this holiday season, uh, it certainly, I think, is a good cause. I think it looks amazing. I'd love to see the film finished. You know, it's, it's a little steep, but if you want to donate to that, that might not be a gift you get this year, maybe not even next year. If everything goes well, it'll be out by early 2020. That might be on your wish list in the future. Christmas Christmas of, of future yet to come. My list is pretty short, too. I, point of information for everybody listening, none of these are terribly expensive, so... Um, you know, pay attention. Let me give you a second to get your notepads and your pens out. First off would be the Frank Langella Dracula soundtrack by John Williams is now available on a three-disc set from Varese Saraband. I don't believe that was a soundtrack that ever came out on CD. I looked for years for it on vinyl. My brother finally found it for me and gave it to me uh, for Christmas a couple years ago. Great, great soundtrack. John Williams, 
I think I'd like to, to have the whole three disc set. From Creepy Company, which is a... Uh, I don't know exactly what they do. It's sort of like, a, it looks like a sort of Etsy type shop, but yet they have some licensed products. They have a whole line of, of Halloween stuff. They have a really cool Halloween shirt. It's a short sleeve button down shirt with just sort of looks like a tiki kind of, but yeah. you know, there's like Michael Myers and Lori little pictures. There's a pattern of them all around. That's really cool. They have a beach towel. It looks like the VHS box of <laughs> Halloween. You know, when you yeah, all yeah. spread it out, it shows the front and back. And they have a really cool enamel pin that lights up behind Michael's head. So any of those items would be great. The reaction figures. You remember a few years ago, they put out the Universal Monsters. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, figures. yeah. I know at Comic-Con this year, they released a new batch of those. I thought those were the same. They have really cool art on the cards, very colorful and, and cool. But as I was looking at those again, they have some that I don't believe there's ever been a, a little action figure of that side. They have the mole people. Oh, they have um, the Phantom of the Opera, Lon Chaney, but in the red ball costume. Oh, the Mask, the mask of Red yeah, Death, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have the Metaluna Monster. I don't know if they've ever had those in that size. So any of those would be delightful to open on Christmas morning. MPI, the company that, uh, owns the rights to Dark Shadows on home video, I guess. Uh, you, you can order any of the, the shows or discs from their website. They have two new items. They have a talking Barnabas statue. Uh, I have a Barnabas bobblehead that came out many, many years ago. It looks basically the same, but supposedly you push a button and he speaks. That would be kind of cool. And they also have a snow globe that has Collinwood on it and when you, you know, shake it. So either of those, and I believe that's musical as well. I believe it plays Quentin's theme when you push the button. Those would be cool. And then I just got an email uh, yesterday or the day before from Mondo. They have a really sweet Planet of the Apes poster and Revenge of the Creature poster. Every time we go to Alamo Draft House. If we go upstairs, they have that creature from the yes. Lagoon. Yeah. This looks like it's the same it artist does. and like it's in a series. Every yeah. time I see that creature, I'm like, oh man. That's that's cool. Yeah. So that gives me thought about Revenge of the Creature, although I don't know if I could have it without having the other. But anyway, the Planet of the Apes one is cool. They also have a couple of new enamel pins. One is Frankenstein and one is Creature from the Black Lagoon, just sort of their heads, but sort of in different poses that I know there have been enamel pins of them before, but these are a little bit unique. I think they look really cool. So that's my list. Pretty simple this year. Yeah, mine, mine was, you know, those are Blu-rays that will probably be on my list for a while. You know, I kind of curtailed my movie spending. I'm a little pickier. I don't automatically go for every Blu-ray that, that comes out, and I've been kind of hesitating on getting every Hammer film that comes out on Blu-ray. But these Dracula ones are coming out, and I'm thinking, okay, I, I could get almost all the Dracula films now on Blu-ray, and that's pretty darn tempting. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'm trying to be good, but you know, then these temptations come along the way. And uh, uh, but yeah, smaller list as well. I, you know, I, for me, I'm just uh, enjoying the holiday season, uh, watching the gazillion Christmas films and specials that I watch every year, and uh, umpteen versions of A Christmas Carol and. Uh, for me, I will, as I do every year, it always wraps up on Christmas Eve, and I watch the 51 version with Alistair Sim, which I think is by far the best. If there's anything I watch after that, I usually will watch 
It's a Wonderful Life at some point when I'm taking down the Christmas tree. I don't know when we're taking it down this year because we won't be doing Christmas with the kids until after the first of the year. So I don't know if we're going to keep everything up until January 5th, but we'll see. I've got plenty to keep myself busy. So these are just wishful thinking. Simple Christmas for me. I'm probably going to spend it with my mom. It's been a, a tough year. A lot of things have happened. I can't wait for it to end and look for the new things that come in 2019. Grateful, thankful for everything good that has come my way and with the podcast and, and the writing and everything. It's Even though it's been a bad year, it's been a good year. There's good stuff that happened. And I just, I hope everyone that's listening has a fantastic Christmas, gets to do what you want to do, get some things you want, spend time with your loved ones, uh, and just remember the reason for the season. Reason for the season, yes. I can't top that. So I'm just going to, I'm going to, I know you've had a tough year, and I know um, I myself had one equally a couple years ago, and I know. Yeah, you get to the holiday season, you're like, you want the year to end and you want to start the new year. I will just add, you were there for me two years ago. And I know that, um, as you know, I'm always here for you now. And I know we have a wonderful support group that helped me get through two years ago, uh, the podcast community. And I didn't even have this podcast two years ago. I will say that you are not alone this holiday season. Thank you. I appreciate that. Where do we go from there? I I think we wish everyone happy holidays. Exactly. um, Thank you for listening. We'll see you next year. Yes, we'll be (laughs) be back in uh, January with our classic horror comedy one. We'll be much more lighthearted as we kick off the new year. Probably as as this goes up, probably within three weeks. We'll say within three weeks we'll get the new episode out. With uh, Cat in the Canary from 1939, Ghostbreakers from 1940, both with Bob Hope, and then Scared Stiff 1953 with Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, uh, episode number 26, and I, I guess officially our two-year anniversary episode, because it was January 2017 that we did King Kong, King Kong yep. and uh, it seems like a lifetime ago, but we've got some fun stuff planned for the new year, and we'll and kick it off with a little bit of laughter. Yep, and let's leave you with the same way we started. The best Christmas song ever. Hooray for Santa Claus. L-A-U-S-O.